0: As I was reading the text this week, there are a lot of things in here that reminded me of some experiences that I've had in my life. Have you ever uh, been around a person who is so knowledgeable and so just uh, good at one area of their life and on a certain subject matter that when you're around them, and they talk about that subject matter, you immediately become aware of how ignorant you are on that subject matter. Have you ever been around somebody like that? And I'm not talking about somebody who's doing it to try to make you feel like an idiot. You know, Those people, people who talk about how much they know in order to make you feel not smart usually don't know as much as they think they know. Um, I'm talking about someone who's just so knowledgeable. They, they start talking and you go, wow, this person knows so much more than me and I don't know much. Uh, This happened to me uh, when I was living in Oregon. My wife and I lived up there for a couple years, and uh, she wanted me to build a step stool uh, for our kids in the bathroom. And I'm like, why do you want me to build it? Have you ever seen anything I've built? No, you haven't, because I've never built anything. That's why you've never seen it. Why do you want me to build this? But she really wanted me to. And so she said, why don't you talk to Peter? Well, Peter was a carpenter, master carpenter. Guy was incredible. He'd been doing this for about 30 years. He built his own house. Uh, he had a very niche market where he built custom stair rails. You know, the first, he's the only guy in Oregon that did it. And so she wants me to go to him and ask for herself. So I go to Peter. I'm like, hey, Peter, I want to build a step stool. He's like, yeah, I can help you with that. Why don't you come out to my workshop this week? So I come to his workshop, and I, he opens the door to welcome me in, and I immediately, already just looking around the shop, I feel like an idiot. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, what is that? What do you do with that? And then he says, okay, you want to build a step stool? He goes, what, what kind of wood do you want to use? And I'm like... <laughs> the kind that comes from trees. Like, I don't know what other kind of wood there is. Like, what are you asking me? And he takes me into this closet and pulls out all this exotic wood that he works with. Beautiful wood. He starts telling me all about the traits and characteristics of it and what it's good to use for and how you work with it. And I'm just like, man, I am so ignorant. Like, I just don't know anything about this stuff. And Peter was a great teacher because he never intentionally tried to make me feel like an idiot. He met me where I was and walked me around his woodshop and showed me all the tools that I would need to use and he taught me so patiently how to use them. And you know, as we read this text today, there's a good chance that some of us are gonna read this text and we're gonna feel kind of like I did that day I walked into Peter's woodshop. You see this guy, Paul, that wrote this, he just knows Jesus intimately and he is gonna erupt with praise for some of the things that God has done in his life and the lives of those that are receiving this letter. And for some of us, we're gonna read that and go, I have no idea what he's talking about. Like, what does that word mean? Like, I don't get that. And you'll be tempted to feel uh, like an idiot. You'll be tempted to feel like, oh, I'm, I must not be spiritually deep enough or I must not know enough. Or, oh, let me just, I just wanna take that away, like wash that away right now. Like, this is Paul exploding with praise and he's almost like that master carpenter walking us through his wood shop, and he's trying to patiently show us all the amazing things that God has given to his people. And he's gonna talk about the spiritual blessings that come in Christ And and I want us to know that whether this makes you, like, feel unfamiliar or feel ignorant or whether you're someone who has been in church forever and your heart lights up at this, it doesn't matter because all of us come to this and the offer is this. These spiritual blessings are available to every single one of us because of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much you know, how much you think you know, or how much you don't know, or what your experiences have been. These blessings we're going to read about are available for you. So let's come to the text. Let's read it. Um, and then I'm gonna kind of walk through and help us identify what it is that Paul is talking about. So let's start in verse three and read together. Paul writes, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'who has blessed us in the heavenly realms "'with every spiritual blessing in Christ, "'for he chose us in him before the creation of the world.'" to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's just freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord out of Ephesians chapter one. Now let me just address the nature of this text because when you read it, it's real easy just to get lost and be like, what did that guy just say? Like, what (laughs) it sounded really cool and really good, but what was he saying? Here's one thing you need to know about Paul's writing here is that what he's written here in his language was really just one long sentence. Verses three through 14. In his language, this was one long sentence. And so for us, it becomes a little bit hard for us to outline it or break it up and really make sense of it. I'm going to do the best I can this morning. But what's happening here is Paul is just reflecting on the goodness of Jesus and God the Father, just what we talked about last week. And it's like he erupts like a water main that's been busted. He is just spewing praise for God. He's just flowing out of him, praise for God and all the good things that he's done. And so the questions that we want to answer, because Paul is going to talk about these spiritual blessings. So in verse three, he says, praise be to God, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? With every spiritual blessing. And then he goes on, I think, to lay out what those spiritual blessings are. and He talks about why we've been given those blessings. So the three questions I want to answer this morning is what are the spiritual blessings that Paul is going on and on about? What are they? And then second, why have we been blessed this way? Why has God chosen to bless his people this way? And then third, what do we do? What do we do with this blessing that God has given us? So let's start with that first question. What are the blessings? I think we see the, the, the first blessing later. I'm gonna give you three blessings that I identify here. I think the first one we see really clearly in verse five. He says, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, this language here is so significant. Paul says, listen, because of Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of God. Now, I noticed that he says, you've been adopted into sonship. Now, some people read that word sonship and they start going, man, why why does Paul hate women so much? Why does he think sons are so much more important than daughters? And this is not what Paul is doing in this text at all. See, Paul was writing to a very real context, to very real people in a very real cultural situation. And you see, in, in the Roman culture, You did not have the privileges and rights of an heir in that family unless you were a what? A son. That's it. If you wanted the rights and privileges of an heir in a family, you had to be a son, not a daughter. And so what Paul writes here to these people that are made up of men and women, he says, listen, you have all been adopted into God's family, but you are not just another mouth to feed in the family of God. You've been adopted into sonship. And the word that he's using there is that word, which means you have become a legal and and, and privileged heir of the king. I want you to just think about that, like the family of God and you are an heir. This is the God that created the universe. He has access to every resource in the world and in the universe, everything is his. And he says through Jesus Christ, you're adopted into that family and you become a legal heir. The way he would say it, Paul would say this the same way he would write to some Christians in a place called Galatia, and he'd say it this way in Galatians 3. He says, listen, there is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, but we are all children of God through Jesus Christ. The things that used to hold you back, the things that society tells you make you not matter, the things that divide you up are all washed away when you're adopted into the family of God, you're adopted into sonship. That is amazing. That is such good news. So we are adopted into the family of God. But one of the things I realized this week as I read this, I think even our metaphor for adoption begins to fall short. And here's what I mean. It's like, I have some, some good friends, very good friends who have adopted a little boy from Asia. They have four kids. Uh, three of them are theirs biologically. One of them is a boy they adopted from China. And, and here's the thing. They love that boy just like they do the rest of their kids. I mean, they love, he is theirs. Like they love him, he is their child. But anyone that looks at their family immediately becomes aware that there's a limitation to the way that boy begins to look like the rest of his family, right? Like their love will transform his heart, but their love for him will not necessarily change his genetic makeup. He will always look like he is Asian, because he is. And they will always look like they're white, because they are. But see, when we are adopted into the family of God, something miraculous happens. And what Paul is trying to tell us here, he says, listen, this isn't just any old adoption because when you were adopted into the family of God, God begins to do something to your spiritual DNA. He begins to radically shift the genetic makeup of who you are spiritually so that you actually begin to look like the father who has adopted you. We see this in verse three really clearly. Verse four, he says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, these words holy and blameless, these are words, again, that we throw around in church a lot, but holy, let me tell you a simple definition of what that means. Holy is kind of what makes God God. Holy means completely other, set apart, uncategorical. You can't categorize them in our categories, that God is completely different than anything in this world is known, and that is what holy means. And what Paul is saying is that God has chosen to adopt you into his family, and he's going to shift your DNA so that you begin to look like him, and you are going to be made holy and blameless, completely without guilt, without shame, without any of the things that weigh us down in this life. You're made holy and blameless. Now, I know that many people hear that, and they go, man, you obviously don't know my life. Like, you don't know I'm not holy. We talked about last week. Remember, we said a lot of Christians say, I'm no saint. And what Paul would say is, listen, you are in the process of being made holy by the one who has made you holy. He says, you are being made holy. And here's the thing, when God comes to us, he comes to you and he knows all the things that are in your life, the things that have held you down, the sins you've committed, the things that have been done against you. And he says, listen, I know where you are right now, but I'm going to adopt you into my family and my adoption is gonna shift who you are so that you start to look like me. You'll be made holy and blameless. The way he does this is through Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says, look, in verse six, verse seven, excuse me. He says, in him, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Redemption and forgiveness. You see, God knows that you're not holy. He knows that. And he knows that we need to be made holy. And so what he knows, he knows that in order to bring us into his family, he's gonna have to offer us redemption and forgiveness. Now again, two church words that we use a lot. Let's talk about them for a minute. Redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed? What is redemption? I think in our culture, the way I hear it used the most often is when someone says, man, I really need to redeem myself or he really redeemed himself in that situation. You guys heard somebody say that before, right? You know, it kind of paints this picture that an individual has dug a hole for themselves so deep and they've fallen into this hole and they need to get themselves out. And if they get out of the hole, then we say, man, he really redeemed himself there. I think about a sports analogy on this. If you're a baseball player, And it's the ninth inning, and every at-bat for the entire game, you have gone up to the plate and you've struck out and you've let your team down. And now you find yourself at the plate in the ninth inning, bases are loaded, your team is down by three, there's two outs and two strikes. (sighs) What would you have to do to redeem yourself? Man, can you imagine? In that moment, you hit a home run, and you bring in four runs, and you've gone from being the person that has let down your team every step of the way to now you've totally redeemed yourself and your team has won the game. This is what it means to be redeemed. But here's the thing when it comes to being in God's family is that we are not able to redeem ourselves. Remember that word holy? See, God's holiness is so perfect and so big that we come before it and there is absolutely nothing that we can do to redeem ourselves in the eyes of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and there's nothing in our human effort we can do to get on a level playing field with him. That ninth inning, we would strike out again. But here's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes to us in the hole that we've dug ourselves in and he graciously jumps into the hole. He puts us on his shoulders and he lifts us out of that hole. That's redemption in Jesus. Jesus comes to us in the ninth inning as the designated hitter that gladly takes our place at the plate and hits the home run for us because Jesus loves us. He is the one that brings us redemption, not ourselves. But here's the thing, even with redemption, if you're that baseball player and Jesus comes in and hits the home run for you, you walk away from the game going, man, look at my stats sheet. I still have all these strikeouts for every time I got up. Like Jesus may have redeemed me, but look at my past. Look at all the things, all the ways that I've screwed up. And see, Jesus doesn't just come in as a designated hitter. Jesus comes, he picks up your stat sheet and he erases every single one of those places where you let him down and he wipes it clean. If you've dug yourself a hole, Jesus doesn't just jump in and lift you out of it. Jesus jumps in, he lifts you out, he comes out behind you and he starts filling in that hole so that no one could even tell there was a hole there. It's like he, he picks all the dirt and puts it in and he plants an amazing garden on top of it to make something beautiful out of what we have destroyed in our own lives. This is redemption and forgiveness in the gospel of Jesus. And it is not from our efforts. It is from the goodness of God. The spiritual blessing, the first one that we see there is we are adopted into the family of God. It's this incredible, incredible gift. Before we move on to the next, uh, the next spiritual blessing, I wanna address something here that I don't wanna just gloss over. There's some words that are used in this passage uh, that, that get thrown around a lot. And they're the words of chosen and predestination or chosen and predestined. Um, And I want to talk about those words. You know, some of you, you may be brand new to this text and those words didn't even stand out to you and that's great, it's okay. Some of you though, those words set up all these alarm bells in our head because it's words that have been debated and argued about for centuries. And I'm not about to begin to say that I'm going to stand up here and, and smooth that out for you today. I'm not going to answer a centuries old debate, but I don't want to gloss over it either. So let me talk to you real quickly about what I believe Paul is saying here with those words. And here's what I know. There's going to be some in the room that disagree with me and that is okay, Even on the staff at Ethos, there are some of us that don't completely see eye to eye on what Paul means by these words, and that is okay. Let me tell you what I think he means. You'll notice in verses 3 through 12, every time Paul uses a pronoun, it is the first person plural pronoun. In other words, he is saying we, us, we have been predestined. God has chosen us. It's this inclusive, and what we would assume is that he's including everyone who is reading the letter. There's a problem with that thinking, though, because when you get to verse 13, he changes it to the second person, you. So here's what's happening in verses three through 12. Remember, Paul is a Jew. He's a Jewish man that was a believer in Jesus. And what he is writing about when he says, we and us, he is writing about the people of Israel, the Jewish people. He's saying, we have been predestined and chosen before the creation of the world by God Almighty. And here's what he means. He says, God has known from the very beginning that sin would come into the world and God chose that there would be a group of people that would represent his glory and show the world his goodness by the way that they live. And if you want to read the story of those people, you read through the Old Testament, you learn about the people of Israel, that God says, these are going to be my people, not because of how good they are, but because I have chosen them from the beginning of time. Paul was a Jew. He was lumped in with that group of people called the Israelites. And so he is saying, we, from the beginning of time, have been predestined and chosen but then look, it's so beautiful because when you get to 13, this is the beauty of the gospel in verse 13, he says, and you also, he's writing to the Gentile believers who are in the city of Ephesus. He says, you also were included. You're included in all these promises. We were predestined and chosen, but through Jesus Christ, you also were included when you heard the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed it, you were sealed with the spirit and you were included in all these promises. So the good news in all of this is that God has chosen a people to represent him to the world and through Jesus Christ, he throws open the floodgate doors so that all can come to know him because of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. So let's, let's keep moving on. We've looked at the first spiritual blessing as we get adopted into the family. This adoption that is available to all who hear the word and all who believe the good news of Jesus. The second spiritual blessing is that God lets us in on the family secret. God lets us in on the family secret. Uh, We see this really clearly in verse nine and 10. Let me read this again. It says, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, that would be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. Here's the family secret. That he would bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You know, for centuries, Humankind has been trying to figure out what is the purpose of this life? Where is it all going? Like, where is this heading? Is it purposeless? Are we random? Are we by chance? Where is all of this going? And what Paul is saying is that the the mystery, the mystery of God's will, the beauty of the family secret is there is a purpose behind all of it. And the purpose is this, is that God is bringing all things together to be united and made new under the name of Jesus Christ. This is the picture we see painted in Revelation twenty one where it says that Jesus is on the throne and he says, Look, I'm making all things new. A new heaven and a new earth, united under the name of Jesus. This means that wherever there is brokenness, wherever things are fractured, wherever things are not whole, wherever things are divided, the name of Jesus is going to come in and bring unity to everything in his name. Isn't that beautiful? And God says, Hey, I want to I wanna show you this. I want you to know this, because when you're in my family, I don't want you to feel hopeless. I want you to have hope because you'll look at the world around you and it'll feel like it's falling apart, but we have hope because Jesus is coming in and gathering all things together to make them right again. So this is the family secret. And guess what? It's good news. All of this just abounds in good news about the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus. So he adopts us into his family to become legal heirs with Jesus. He lets us in on, on the family secret of where everything is headed so that we can have hope. But then he doesn't leave us questioning whether or not we know where we're going. He gives us this down payment. That's the third spiritual blessing. He gives us a down payment. You know, so often I, I, I'll read, I see comic books or, 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 or cartoons, and they depict someone dying and going up, and they stand at the pearly gates, and it's like you come to the, the pearly gates, whatever that. I mean, what is the pearly gates? You show to the pearly gates, and you're wondering, questioning, oh man, are they gonna let me in? Like. How do I know whether or not I get to go into those gates? Like, do I have to have a ticket or something? Like, how do I know that I'm definitely going to be let in? And what Paul mentions here, he says, listen, you don't have to worry about that. When you hear the gospel of salvation, when you believe and put your faith in Jesus, you are given the gift of God, Holy Spirit living within you. That is this deposit guaranteeing you, guaranteeing you of your inheritance. Now, here's the question a lot of people ask is, well, how do I know if I, that sounds kind of vague. Like, how do I know if I have the Spirit? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Him, you've confessed that He's the Son of God, you've said, I believe, Lord, you've been baptized, you've you've, you've shown Him everything, you believe in Him. Whenever that happens in our lives, I believe all of us experience a change, right? For some of us, it can be a really radical change. I've talked to people that are radically delivered from addiction. Like the moment they get baptized, it's like they they come out of the water and they don't wrestle with addiction anymore. It's this radical delivery. Some of you have struggled with certain sins in your life and the moment you gave your, your, your life to Jesus, it was taken away completely, which is amazing. But there are others of us, so we don't necessarily experience a radical transformation of that sort where the sin is completely taken away. And yet I would bet, I'd be willing to bet, this has been my experience, that when I gave my life to Jesus, there was this new desire in me that was not there before. A desire to actually give a rip. A desire to want to be transformed. A desire to want to be holy. A desire to want to live for God. Either situation, where do you think that comes from? You don't experience radical deliverance because you suddenly decided you would try harder. That's not why it happens. You don't experience this brand new desire to walk with God because you changed your self-talk and decided that you were gonna be a more positive person. It doesn't happen that way. The change that you experience when you decide to believe in the good news of Jesus, it happens because the Spirit of God is living in you. So when you experience that change, that new desire, that new freedom, that new hope, praise God. That is His work in you. That is the Spirit of God living within you. And that is your deposit guaranteeing your inheritance that Jesus offers you. It's good news. So we see the spiritual blessings that Paul talks about in this this passage, he says, listen, you're adopted into the family of God, into sonship. He says, you are let in on the family secret. We all know where this is going, there's hope. And he says, and you're given a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that he has promised you're gonna have. Can you see why Paul is just like, just exploding with praise? Because he spent so much time reflecting on the spiritual blessings that God has offered him in Jesus Christ. So this answers our kind of our first question of what are these spiritual blessings? Then we come to this next question of why? Why, why would God do this? I mean, if God is so good and so holy and we're so sinful and there's this gap between us, why in the world would this perfect God who's so pure and holy, why in the world would he do anything to adopt us when we all are so aware of the things in our life that aren't as they should be? Why would he do that? I think it's a question that's important for us to understand because here's the thing. These blessings that he gives us, they say a whole lot more about him than they do about us. You see, if we're not careful, I lived in this life for a long time. If we're not careful, we fall into a trap of legalism where we think that when we start to experience these spiritual blessings, we think it's because of something we did. I think it's because we earned it or we tried harder. You see, these blessings, when you start to experience them in your life, they say a whole lot more about God than they do about you. I love the picture that, that Paul paints here. In verses, we see it three different times in verse 5, in verse 9, and in verse 11. Look in verse five, he talks about being predestined, adoption to sonship, and look at this, the phrase, the last phrase, in accordance with his pleasure and with his will. We see this again in verse nine. He made known to us the, this mystery of his will according to what? His good pleasure. And you see it again in verse 11. In verse 11, he says, he And says, him we are chosen, having been predestined according to his plan, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. See, here's the thing that's beautiful about these spiritual blessings. No one is making God do this. I mean, nobody's twisting God's arm and saying, Hey, you better pour out spiritual blessings. You better show them that you're as good as you say you are. Nobody's doing that to God. There's not a, a, there's not a pantheon of gods that are competing for more glory. There is only one true and living God, and he chooses to pour out spiritual blessings on his people. Why? Because it is his good pleasure. He, he, he just loves to do it. It's, uh, that, that's how good he is. This is one of the most significant things, the most wonderful things about God, is that he pours out spiritual blessings on us, not because we earned it, not because he has to, but because he just loves to do it. He's that good. His heart is that good. His heart is that for you and for us. He is that good. This is why he pours out the spiritual blessings upon us because he is so good. And so the third question that we ask, that's why he does it. And when we realize how good he is and we realize that it's out of the riches of his grace that he's freely poured all this out on us, we kind of have to go, what do we do with this? What do we do with these rich spiritual blessings that God has poured out upon us? And I think what we see in this passage, Paul is doing the very thing that we're supposed to do with the blessings that God has given us. Paul is just praising God. He's reflecting all glory to him. Never at any point in this passage do you hear Paul go, hey, you've received spiritual blessing because I was such a good Christian and I came to you and I taught you the ways of Jesus and that is why you've been spiritually blessed. No, Paul understands that the reason he's received spiritual blessing is because of God's grace. And he knows the only thing that he can do that is appropriate is to let his life be a reflection of the glory of God. So that when people see him, they don't go, Paul, man, you're amazing, dude. Way to turn your life around. No, people see him and they go, praise the living God who has worked out an amazing and miraculous transformation in your life. Our lives become lives of reflecting the, the grace and the glory of God to those around us. Paul says this over and over again. You see it in verse six. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace. You see this in verse 12. He says that we might be for the praise of his glory. God did this so that we can praise his glory. He says it again in verse 14. He finishes the whole thing. He says, to the praise of God's glory. Do you wanna know what you do when you experience the blessings of Jesus? You don't go, oh man, I don't deserve that. Ah, oh, I'm so guilty. Why would he do that for me? You go, thank you, God. I praise your name. Thank you for seeing me, someone who's unworthy and giving me spiritual blessings because of your goodness. We don't walk around other people and go, Hey, look, do you see these spiritual things that I did? you see how religious I've been? I've been going to church every Sunday. I'm going every, every time the house church is open, I'm there. You don't do that. No, we say, man, God, out of his goodness and grace, for whatever reason, has chosen to have mercy on me, a sinner, praise be to his glorious name. That is what we live for, church. That is what we're here for. That's why we are in Nashville, Tennessee, so that ethos can reflect the glory and the praise of God to the city around us. And that is our purpose until that day when we show up with a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Our purpose between now and then is one thing, and that is to bring glory to the God who has redeemed us. This is what we do with the spiritual blessings. This is how we reflect the goodness of God. This is good news. The living God Almighty, out of his goodness and grace, adopted us into his family. He let us in on the family secret. He gives us a deposit and he does it because he's good. And we get to live as reflections of his goodness and grace to those around us. This is such a good thing. You know, in a minute, we're gonna go take communion. So we do every Sunday, we've got it set up on the bar, on the tables, there's bread and there's the cup. Just remind us of Jesus. And for those of you, I know, I know there are some of you in this room that are not followers of Jesus. There are some of you in here who haven't haven't fully decided, you know, I believe this, I'm in. And you're you're still in that in-between trying to decide. And here's what I would say to you is that all of these spiritual blessings that we've talked about, they are available to you. They're available to you. Look at verse 13. You also were included in Christ when what? When you heard the message of truth that Jesus Christ has offered you redemption and forgiveness by going to the cross and rising from an empty tomb. It's available to you. When you believed it, will you believe it? And so there are some of you that are sitting here and you're believing it for the first time. And what I would say to you is you come to the table, come get the cup, come get the bread and tell someone that you believe. Share it with someone. I would love to talk with you. I'll be at this banner over here while we're singing and praising. I would love to talk with you and encourage you and pray with you. Let someone know that you believe. We can baptize you here this morning if that's what you want. But let someone know that you believe. And if you're struggling to believe but you want to, just tell Jesus that. Say, Jesus, I don't believe you, but man, I want to, would you help me? Then see what he begins to do in your heart. Will you try him on that and test him in that? Because I promise you he's faithful and he's good. For those of you that are believers, as we come to communion today, let's come to communion with hearts full of praise and hearts full of thanks. Here's what I encourage you to do as you come to that cup and you come to that bread, I want you just to thank God together for the spiritual blessings that he's poured out in your life. And if you've experienced, if you've been going, man, I don't know if I've experienced that yet, then share that with the person next to you so they can pray for you that you would begin to begin to experience the goodness of God in your life. And then after we take communion, let's just take some time to do the thing we are meant to do. Let's praise our living God. The band is gonna come up here and we're gonna sing some more songs. Let's praise the living God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can dance if you wanna dance. You can raise your hands, you can clap, you can sit, you can kneel, you can do whatever you need to do to reflect and give praise to the living God who has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. Can we do that together this morning? I'm gonna pray for us and let's go get communion and let's just praise the living God. Father, I praise you for who you are. I praise you as the God of all grace. I praise you because of your kindness and your mercy and Man, God, you are holy, and yet you extend this invitation to us. Lord, you know every person in this room right now. You know everything that they did this weekend that they regret. You know every person in this room. You know all the things that that we carry shame for. You know the things we carry regret. You know the places where we are resentful. Lord, you know the marriages in this room where husbands and wives have been fighting and have just been so bitter towards one another. You know those things. You know the places, Father, where we feel unforgivable. So Father, I, my ask right now is that you would come and do what you, only you can do. Would you meet us in those places? And would you show us that you are freely extending us because of your grace, you are offering us Redemption. You're going to redeem us from all the mistakes. You're going to stand us up on level ground. And would you show us that you want to offer us forgiveness? There's, there's no hole too deep. There's no stat sheet that is bad enough that you can't wipe it clear. So would you come and do what only you can do in our midst as we worship and as we praise you in the name of Jesus, I pray.